You are listening to episode 69 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, featuring an epic battle with a bevy of guest stars and Matt Murdock defending the Hulk in the court of law. Welcome to episode 69 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, the show all about Marvel's man without fear, Daredevil. I am your host, J. David Weeder, but as always, you can call me Dave. This week, the last installment of our crossover double feature, double feature, and the last episode released through DaredevilPodcast.com. And I know I've kind of beat the dead horse about the transition, but I think it's important to make sure everybody's on the same page. So, for the last time, the important dates are these. On August 19th, the site DaredevilPodcast.com will be decommissioned, and that domain name will point to the show's page on TwoTrueFreaks.com. So if you have it bookmarked, you like to get the episodes a la carte, that's fine. You don't have to change anything on that front. Later in the week, in the late hours of the 21st or early morning hours of the 22nd of August, the feed will change over. So the content will be drawing from TwoTrueFreaks.com going forward. As mentioned, time and time again, that may result in a few extra downloads. It's a one-off. It won't continue. So that is that. Next week, Two True Freaks. And it's actually going to be a change of plans for the episode. Episode 70 was slated to be the beginning of my coverage of the death of Gene DeWolf. However, an email that's been sitting in my inbox for far too long kind of spawned its own episode, to be honest with you. I intended it to be at the end of this week's episode. However, the length and just the the real topic of the Netflix Daredevil series, I felt deserved its own episode because I felt simply that I had more to say on the show and it's had time to settle with me. So next week I will be returning to season one of Netflix's Daredevil. However, I do have a pair of emails from the mighty Brad Dade. Brad's first email has a subject line, Kirby and Cap. Brad writes, Hi Dave, just wanted to let you know how much I enjoyed your look at Cap and Falcon in the 70s. I was never a huge fan of Kirby. I greatly respected his work and what part he played in comic history in general. I even read an amazing book about him called Tales to Astonish. Reading that book made me think that modern artists that can never meet a deadline should hold their heads in shame when compared to the volume of high-quality work Kirby could put out every month. I'm going to pause Brad's email right there and just simply say, hell yes. Kirby knocked it out of the park, he was a workhorse, and the books that he worked on never suffered from the amount of work he had on his docket. Now back to Brad's email. That being said, I still wasn't a huge fan of his art. I just didn't get it like some do. But recently, I've been reading a lot of older books digitally. I find that there is something about digital that makes some art just pop off the screen and look amazing. Reading these cap issues certainly makes Kirby's art do that. On my iPad, his art looks stellar. I almost feel like I get Kirby now and want more. As for the story, well, Kirby was not known for his great plot and dialogue skills. Even his new gods might get a lot of praise for its concept and art style but many that have actually read it admit it can be difficult to get through. I've always had a fondness for Cap, which makes me feel guilty because, well, I'm Canadian. I feel even more guilty because I've tried to get into Alpha Flight as I feel I should support Marvel's Canadian super team, 
but just couldn't do it. Anyways, I look forward to future episodes dedicated to this era in Cap history. Cheers, Brad. And Brad, I can see where Kirby would be an acquired taste. As I was growing up, I wasn't all that fond of Kirby. He had too many lines that all looked too stiff. And I think as I looked at more modern art, I felt like Kirby didn't stack up. But as I grew to understand the history and the method that Kirby used, I grew to understand that most of the artists that I was revering built off of Kirby's style, along with Will Eisner and several others. And when I went back and looked at it from historical context, as far as time and technology available when these original books were coming out, as well as just a development of his technique, which you can always see evolve, I grew to appreciate it, I grew to understand it, and I have to agree wholeheartedly with you, Brad. Reading that Captain America issue, or those Captain America issues, I should say, off of Marvel Unlimited, it gives a vividness to the lines, just sharpness, just thanks to the technology of today, the digital retouching and the colors just looked phenomenal. As it was, uh, most of the Kirby I discovered was through ratty copies of these old Captain America issues, so they were tinged, uh, faded, and much like you, I didn't fully appreciate it until I saw it digitally. Brad's second email has a subject line of simply the word congrats. Brad writes, Hi Dave, just wanted to say congratulations on moving over to Two True Freaks, a great group of podcasts that will only benefit from having your podcast included with them. Maybe we'll see some crossovers with other hosts from that network? Regarding episode 64, you mentioned that Daredevil number 66 is only reprinted in a Marvel Essential and not available digitally or in a Marvel Masterworks. For your information, it is included in Daredevil Masterworks number 7, that volume reprints 64 through 74, and Iron Man 35 through 36. The only reason I knew this is because my local library had this book, and that's how I read issue 66. Cheers, Brad. And yes, Brad, uh, you and I believe Kyle Benning both pointed that out. And that's just a simple mea culpa. I didn't have that information. But Brad is correct. There is a Marvel Masterworks Volume 7 that does reprint the entire Zodiac Key saga that I covered in episodes 66 and 67. So please, if you're interested in those books, there's another avenue to check out. As far as the move to Two True Freaks, you know, I really want to take a moment to thank Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell for welcoming me with open arms. After our trip to Eternal Con, I felt a real genuine kinship with the Two True Freaks Network, and I wanted to be a part of it. I felt like it was something that would benefit me and my show would fit in well, and just be a part of a great group of people, as well as podcasters, people I really respect and people I really feel are true friends now. I also want to thank Mike Voyles, webmaster for twotruefreaks.com, as well as the ever-resourceful dcindexes.com, also known as Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, which is where my publication info, as well as many other podcaster publication info, is drawn from. As you've seen over the last few weeks, everything has been double posting at daredevilpodcast.com and twotruefreaks.com. I'm really looking forward to next week when it really does fully merge and become a full-fledged part of the Two True Freaks Network. And if interested, every episode of the show is now available on twotruefreaks.com. Simply go to the homepage, scroll down the list of shows. I'm about third from the bottom. Click there, and any episode you want, you can simply hit the download button. But, Brad, thank you for your emails. Thank you for your continued support of the show. I really do appreciate it. If you've got more to say, throw it my way. But we have an episode to do. We've got some Hulk and Daredevil team-up action to talk about. But first, we're going to play... Well, I'm going to play a pair of promos this time. So first, you're going to hear the world premiere of the new promo for this very show, touting its move to TwoTrueFreaks.com. And if you are a podcaster using the old promo, go ahead and scrap that. You can find this new promo at the repository that Shag has set up through Google Drive or on the promos page of TwoTrueFreaks.com. 
Following that, you will hear the promo for Comic Book Time Machine, and then I will be back to talk about The Incredible Hulk number 153. Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please, call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at twotruefreaks.com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school. Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah! Yeah! The Comic Book Time Machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books. Good and bad. Whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. And I am back. To get us all up to speed, after being wrongfully accused of the disappearance of a U.S. senator, the Hulk was captured by General Ross and his Hulkbusters. Matt Murdock was called in to defend Bruce Banner, and Mr. Fantastic planned to testify on behalf of the defense. But en route to New York City, the depressed Bruce Banner was given a stimulant to get him back in his right mind. Bruce panicked at the thought of hulking out at 40,000 feet, and that caused him to hulk out at 40,000 feet. Matt almost had the Hulk talked down, but Ross had to blow it by moving forward with an attack once the plane hit the ground. And that is where we left off last week, the Hulk at JFK Airport, with the Fantastic Four, the Army, and more ready to do battle. That was in Incredible Hulk number 152, which logically brings us to the Incredible Hulk number 153, the July 1972 issue. And the cover to this bad boy has an image that shows the Hulk about to be sentenced for his crimes and busting free of his shackles as the horrified judge, General Ross, and Matt Murdock look on in horror. First thing I noticed about this cover, the Hulk has a lazy eye. Now that's something I've been noticing with Trimpy. He's either got some sort of fungus or he's a Popeye impersonator. And when pulling back from that, I realized this cover is overall too crowded. And the frame that for some reason is added to this cover like last week's just adds to that with way too much. It's like a crowded garage full of junk. The bursting chains are a cool effect as the Hulk is breaking his shackles, but cramped inside the tiny image space, the eye has a hard time processing the image. And the text tells us it's the Hulk versus everybody, which is pretty much right on. There's a huge amount of guest stars in this issue. The story inside this cover is called The World, My Jury. Written by Gary Friedrich, penciled by Herb Trimpey, inked by John Severin, and lettered by Gene Simic. It shows reprinted in Marvel Superheroes number 101, Essential Hulk volume 4, Incredible Hulk number 100 from 2007, and on Marvel Unlimited. It is not available to buy at the Marvel store at this time. So let's jump into our final story in our crossover double feature, double feature. We open with the Hulk, heavily manacled in the middle of a courtroom as the judge looks to the jury for their verdict. 
Then we flash back to where we left off last issue, namely the Hulk bursting free of the plane that carried him to JFK Airport. And the expected fight ensues. The thing of the Fantastic Four attacks and quickly gets subdued. Matt Murdock suits up as Daredevil as Peter Parker feigns sickness and runs off to change to Spider-Man. Neither Daredevil nor Spidey are a match, nor can they reason with the Jade Giant, but Mr. Fantastic has a plan. Using an experimental high-tech gun called the Nega Gamma Gun, Mr. Fantastic zaps the Hulk, who drops immediately to the ground with a thud. Tony Stark arrives with an invention of his own, a confinement chamber which holds the recaptured Hulk who has not changed back to Bruce Banner. And while the capture ends the chaos, the lack of Banner could mean bad, bad things for the coming court case. And we're going to stop there for just a moment and talk about what we've just read. The thing I like about Trimpy's Hulk is that even in the shackles, he has weight. He's disproportionate, but he has a density to him, which kind of offsets that disproportionate nature and makes him a little bit more beastly, I guess. Whatever you want to call it, it works. It's solid for the Hulk. Now, as you would have expected from the end of last week's issue, this is chaos, war, dogs and cats living together. While the Hulk looks good, the Thing looks like he went on the Subway diet. When it comes to the Hulk versus the Thing, I'm always in. I mean, if you want to get me into a windowless van with a stranger, tell me there's a Hulk-Thing fight going on. And of course, when it comes to superheroes fighting, it's always the great debate who would win, and Hulk versus Thing is one of the bigger ones, along with Hulk versus Thor. The main difference between these two debates is the Hulk usually ends up beating the Thing, while Thor fights end up in a draw. To add a little bit to the credits, it does mention that Dick Ayers stepped in to help fill out some art. Perhaps Deadline was coming, I'm not sure, but you never know who to blame for certain snafus or certain credits. But Paige looks great. Is that Dick Ayers? Is that Herb Trimpey? With this, I think Ayers is responsible for aging Matt. For some reason, Matt looks 10 years older than what we saw in last issue, which was more trimpy oriented Likewise, Peter Parker, when we see him, looks like he should be switching from rock to light country. And this kind of technique works well for haggard characters like Bruce Banner, like the Hulk, or even General Ross, just not the younger characters, especially somebody as fresh-faced as Peter Parker. As mentioned, it's a bevy of guest stars, including the aforementioned Peter Parker. I mean, we really are getting almost everybody, if only for a two-panel cameo. By the time Daredevil actually arrives, I expect Tim Conway and Annette Funicello to be on the guest list. However, mentioning that Daredevil has arrived, I don't like Daredevil as he appears here. For some reason, the mask is drawn very oddly, very misshapen. It doesn't look right. And again, I'm not sure who to blame. We have alternating artists who may be doing portions of the work, layouts, who knows. But it simply does not look good. And Daredevil, well, as expected, doesn't fare well against the Hulk. Which frustrates me because Matt already won this battle. He already had the Hulk where he needed him. Now, granted, to get the Hulk into that equation to begin with, Matt had the sedative applied in an airplane. Again, something that could have waited. Now, while I don't like the look of Daredevil in this issue, I will give props where they are due. The physics of Daredevil being flung by the Hulk look plausible and downright painful. And while all this is going on, Mr. Fantastic is kind of like O.J. Simpson's character in The Naked Gun, who spends most of an action sequence just putting a gun together. And that's exactly what Mr. Fantastic is doing. But once he gets that gun put together and blasts the Hulk, the Hulk just drops. And I really like this resolution because it shows brains beating brawn. Yet again, we had Matt talking to the Hulk, reasoning with the Hulk, using his brain, using his verbal skills. And then Reed uses science, and it works. And then you combine that with the third element, Stark's containment unit, and we have more done than the thing in Thor's blows combined. Unlike Peter Parker and Matt, Stark actually looks perfect, and that's probably due to the alternating art duties. And likewise, his tech looks appropriate as well. His is one of the better guest appearances in this issue. 
So, Hulk is captured again. We're kind of back where we were middle of last issue, which means we are about to head into the trial of the Incredible Hulk. Let's take a look at the next segment of the story, shall we? As the trial of the Hulk gets rushed through a lot of red tape, Matt receives a visit from Foggy, and both men have doubts that Matt can win. The main problem, Reed Richards' Nega Gamma Gun has prevented the Hulk from turning back into Bruce Banner, so the accused can't speak for himself. The Hulk is brought into the courtroom in heavy shackles, which Matt objects to, since it applies that his client is a threat. Matt's objections are overruled in the name of public safety. More and more, Matt feels like the trial is stacked against the Hulk and himself, but there is a groundswell of support. Protesters gather outside the courthouse chanting, Free the Hulk! But the outcome continues to look dire. Elsewhere, Reed continues to fret over the fate of Bruce Banner and feels that he has condemned Banner with his Nega Gamma gun. In order for Banner to get a fair trial, Reed must find a way to increase the gamma that the gun fires, but it could end up killing Bruce in the process. And we are going to stop there once again. As we come into this second section, Matt seems to have de-aged once again. Maybe he used some Dove soap, I'm not sure it is, one quarter moisturizing cream. And here we reach the core of Daredevil's part of the story. The chips are stacked against the case. Banner is looked at as guilty before the trial. But despite the odds, Matt is compelled to help because, first of all, he has integrity and compassion. He's an honest, straightforward man. Secondly, Matt has that ability to see the best in people, sometimes whitewashing their flaws, sometimes seeing something underneath that really is a gem in the rough. And on another level, he is empathetic to the affliction and the circumstance have been cast upon Bruce Banner. He's a bit more like Bruce than people would realize. Like Bruce, he got his powers from an accident, from circumstance. And it's a circumstance that caused him to carry this affliction through his life. While Matt's isn't quite as destructive or as overt as Bruce's, Matt's blindness is a crutch that he has to carry, much like Bruce has to carry the Hulk. Yes, they're not mutually exclusive, but there is a core of an idea, of a reaction, if you will, of learning to live with a lifelong affliction. Now add this to the fact that Foggy says, Matt, you shouldn't take the case. I don't think you can win. Matt has seen the facts. He's seen what's happening. He's well aware that this is not going to go his way. But even Foggy knows Matt's not going to back down. That's not in his character. Once he's committed, he's in. And we have poor Matt with the whole world against he and the Hulk. The trial is getting moved up, which takes away prep time, and then you still have that idea that the Hulk cannot revert back to Banner. And I do have to agree with the judge. Keeping the Hulk in chains makes more sense. More to keep the Hulk away from everybody else. Let's not arouse his anger. He's already in a bad spot. And while I agree with the judge, I have to respect Matt who has stones. He outright risks contempt of court to say to a bunch of reporters that the trial is a farce. Another way to sway the public, but it's not going to do much good. The public has already decided. The Hulk is simply a scary concept. Not a being, a concept. There's a bit of a disassociation. Remember last week when I said that the Hulk was sort of the boogeyman? The cautionary tale people told their children to keep them on the straight and narrow. That's what he's seen as. That's simply all that he is seen as. A cipher, if you will. Matt, pun intended, sees through that. That's why he's here. That's why he's willing to make these risks. It's why we respect our character. And just as a side note, the incidental characters look good as well. 
The judge looks stern. The reporters look diverse. The protesters look stocked, though. Once we get to them, we have the standard denim vest, headband, shaggy hair, everything you'd expect from a protester in the 70s. And it kind of bothers me that the support from the Hulk come from uh, what looks to be hippies. This is a bit short-sighted. We can't have middle-aged conservative folks protesting the Hulk. And I guess it also stems from the idea that the Hulk was a symbol of the counterculture, which was kind of what propagated that character forward. Hulk rejects societal norms, does his own thing. It's exactly what the counterculture needed. So while I do feel it's short-sighted to show only these people protesting the Hulk, I also think that does come from a real-world perspective. Then we jump over to Reed, whose quandary is really one of the most potent aspects of this story. He really wants to help correct what he has done, and he's pushing himself to the limit to try to find the solution, to try to reverse the nega gamma gun. And the progression of Reed's frustration plays out very, very clearly in the visuals. In fact, I scanned the page without looking at the dialogue boxes, and it's exactly as it should be. It tells the story visually. You actually see him deteriorate as the page goes on, and what we're dealing with is the integrity of Reed Richards. And Reed's integrity is something I really admire in the character himself. He's flawed, of course. His focus is not always where it should be, just because of a more absent-minded professor mentality. However, at the core of the matter, he's going to try to do the right thing. And here he wants Banner to testify. And it's Reed's fault that he can't, and it's tearing him up. It is making him sick. And this is such a powerful aspect to this issue, the weight of responsibility on Reed's shoulders that he robbed Bruce of the right to speak. And you may notice that we have Matt and Reed taking center stage in the Hulk's own book. And that works for me. It presents a truly thought-provoking idea, questioning the rights of the accused and the right to a fair trial. But with those questions being presented, let's go into the third and final part of this issue and bring everything full circle. The trial commences and it is looking even grimmer when the Avengers show up to testify for the defense. But Iron Man is obliterated on the stand since the Hulk is a former Avenger and Shellhead can't attest to the Hulk's current state of mind. The other Avengers are dismissed since they can offer no more than Iron Man could. In a last-ditch effort, Matt puts the Hulk on the stand and it becomes fairly clear that the Green Goliath doesn't understand what is happening. But the judge ignores this, and the trial proceeds to the verdict stage. However, Mr. Fantastic has stretched his way into the courtroom. Mr. Fantastic pitches the idea of using the Nega Gamma gun once again to allow Bruce Banner the chance to speak on his behalf. But the gun has a decidedly different effect. It makes the Hulk stronger and the monster frees himself. The Hulk leaps off, leaving the courtroom in shambles, but nobody injured. And Matt takes Mr. Fantastic aside. Matt thanks Reed for using the gun, knowing that it would have the exact effect putting an end to the sham of a trial. However, as the issue closes, it appears that the Hulk's freedom has come to an abrupt end as we spy a pile of wreckage, and beneath that wreckage, a familiar big green hand. And with this, we have pretty much the major part of the Marvel Universe guest-starring the Avengers, who show up with a group shot that just looks like a cosplay group. The editor's note references that they are just leaving from Avengers number 101, which was written by Harlan Ellison, noted sci-fi author. It was alright. As Iron Man is taking the stand, his proportions, just the general look of him, he, he looks like the teen Tony from the 90s. It doesn't look quite right. And the prosecution, well, their focus is, is the Hulk a menace today? Which means dismissing Iron Man's testimony, but I don't understand. A, a character witness is there to talk about the history of a character. To sort of give a picture of who they've been prior to the crime. It's relevant information, and the prosecution is playing really, really dirty pool. So we have the image of the Hulk there, and Bruce is suppressed completely. So the jury doesn't even have the option of seeing mild-mannered Bruce Banner. They have no concept of the other side of the Hulk. It's frustrating. It's a trial that's a joke. 
In high school, I did mock trial, which is exactly what it says. We did a trial. It wasn't a real trial. And the thing that always helped me win a trial, the thing I was best at, was the objection. The objection is an extremely powerful tool, as we see in the prosecution's hand. However, Matt has that ability as well. He has the objection button. And I feel like he's getting railroaded, and I think it's a railroad that he could fight back on. And let's not forget to mention that not only do we dismiss Iron Man and the Avengers, we dismiss Thor as he's coming to the stand. And, you know, I think it's a wonderful idea to dismiss the Thunder God and just waste his time. And while you're at it, while you're pissing off the Thunder God, let's piss off the Hulk again. This prosecutor's not a smart man. He just goads everybody. But in a more serious note, with the objections that I was mentioning, the mock trial, the the general proceedings, that brings up a very, very key piece, and really the key to this issue, the ultimate question. Is the Hulk mentally competent to stand trial? Let me be clear. We are not, not discussing an insanity plea. What we are asking is if he can fully understand what is happening. So I did some research at nolo.com, as well as the blog Law and the Multiverse, which I fully recommend, and they both sync up. Mental competency is measured by the state of mind after the offense and during the trial. During the trial, not during the offense. Legally, the accused has the right to understand the proceedings and aid in their own defense. In the real world, the case cannot and would not proceed until competency is restored. So normally you would see the trial delayed until the competency can be proven. So in this case, I would say the Hulk is not competent. However, the problem with this is, on top of the competency issue, the Hulk isn't the core of the issue. The Hulk is technically not a U.S. citizen. Bruce Banner is a U.S. citizen. Bruce Banner is entitled to those rights. And Bruce Banner is within the Hulk. Bruce Banner is not present at his own trial because he is trapped within the Hulk. And as the Hulk, Banner is certainly not fit to stand trial since he is absent. So suffice it to say Hulk is not competent enough to stand trial and Hulk proves our point and kills the feels when he says nobody helps the Hulk and he's right. And just as I'm getting a little weepy-eyed for the Hulk being all alone and nobody loving him, Mr. Fantastic pops up behind the judge and taps on his shoulders and it has me in stitches. Reed sees more than the average person just because of his huge IQ. He sees processes, he sees logical paths and eventual resolutions. Compared to him, almost everybody else on Earth is a mental midget who cannot see this and he has to take their scorn. But he's not wrong. So here, really, it seems that Reed ignores the cost of travel, containing the Hulk, billable hours of taxpayer dollars, property damage, and potential risk to the public. Reed has run the numbers, though. He's played out all the scenarios. All options are a bit crap. And this is really the lesser of several evils. And he knows that everybody will hate him for it. Just look at him assuring the prosecutor that all the consequences are on him and nobody else. For as much as Matt fought within the ethics, it was a no-win scenario. And a billy club was worthless here, and the rules were wrong. The system was not serving its true purpose. And it took Reed Richards going beyond the rules, something Matt really couldn't do here, to get the Hulk free. And for those that are wondering about the Hulk being buried under the rubble, he's fine. He gets back to business next issue. So let's bring this in for our final verdict. This issue balances really the action and the drama wisely. It puts the feature character on the back burner, which is pretty gutsy, but it actually allows for some exploration of the concept of the Hulk and where he fits into what would be a normal procedure of going through a trial. I thought the issue really brought up some great questions, intentionally or unintentionally, I'm not sure, but it brought up great questions about real-world law and how it would apply in a world like the Marvel Universe, where we have things like the Hulk and Thor. 
It puts the ethics and morality right smack in the middle of the table. Matt's ethics in defending the Hulk and Reed's morality in freeing the Hulk. As both a hero and a lawyer, Matt is bound by his ethics. There are certain rules and restrictions. There's a certain due process to everything. In terms of moral, we've got a personal ideal of right and wrong, in which Reed crosses what could have been a dangerous line. But that's what makes him a hero. Likewise, though, the issue refuses to dwell or really pose answers to the subjective questions. It's content to present them and let the reader chew on them without weighing down the story with this high-concept thoughts. While I chose to dwell on them and enjoyed dwelling on them, I applaud the comic because it did not get overloaded with those questions. At its heart, it's still a superhero comic, and we still get plenty of superhero action. And I think the issue really used Matt and Reed in a cool way and focused on them while keeping the Hulk as a central focus. So even when the Hulk was not on the page, he was front and center in the discussion. I think between these two issues, this was a really good two-parter hampered by the uneven art. But even then, we still have a bevy of guest stars and a really solid Hulk-Daredevil team-up. And I was really glad to put this on the table. That brings us to an end of this episode, the end of an era, really. And I want to take a moment to recognize kind of what's happened here. In November of 2013, DaredevilPodcast.com went live with the first episode. It looked very sparse at that time. I've spruced it up since then, but it's been the show's home from day one. One, and we've had a lot of fun things happen here. The first episode, the Netflix series, Daredevil 101, and it's been a great run so far for the last 69 episodes, 70 if you count Blaine's episode 0, 71 if you count the Netflix special. It's been a home, you know? I could point out that this is my website. And while really not a lot is changing, a few tweaks to the format, if you will, and just the location that you get the show from, it feels like we're moving from one era to another, and... I thought I would feel a bit wistful or sad or look back and say these were the days, but I don't. I'm just excited. I think being part of something bigger than myself and bigger than my show presents some really, really great opportunities. I think moving to the Two True Freaks Network will help define the show in a different way and really give it a new identity as part of a bigger infrastructure. And for those that have been with me through the whole ride, I do appreciate it. We're going to continue this ride for a long, long time to come. So... That's pretty much my last thought on DaredevilPodcast.com and The Move. Next week, The Move is on. I will be fully integrated with the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, again, we'll have an episode covering the Netflix Daredevil series inspired by a listener email. So be here next week for the slightly new, slightly different Dave's Daredevil podcast. And between now and then, please visit either DaredevilPodcast.com or go to TwoTrueFreaks.com. There will be links for iTunes, RSS, and Stitcher for your subscription needs. Please drop me an email, mail at daredevilpodcast.com. And as usual, you can still find me on social media, facebook.com slash daredevilpodcast, twitter.com slash daveweeder. Until next time, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. When you hear his name And devil fight for what is right And devil fight for you tonight And devil fight for what is right And devil fight for what is right Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. 
Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.